Numbers. Uh, this is episode number 54, and finally, after a long wait, we're going to dive into the game data from uh, DMU. Um, there's been some reasons why the data was not available, uh, including migrations of the 17 land servers, and the guys were working tirelessly to get it on track, and they managed to do it. But before we go into the uh, data, a quick word from the sponsor, um, MTGA Zone is helping me with um, supporting the stream and supporting the seminar. Um, and you can go there, you can check your data, um, uh, my data, you can check other limited content creators, you can uh, learn stuff about Constructed. So please go there, um, um, uh, especially go look through my uh, articles. There are several of them. I'm pretty sure I'm going to write a couple more um, pretty soon because I have one almost finished and, and this, this episode is going to be uh, some sort of an article itself. Because by clicking on my articles, you are showing them that actually I bring some people to the site and um, uh, that's what they, I guess, want from me. So please do that. Um, today, our seminar is going to look at some things that I couldn't have looked before based on only the table data that you get on the website and, and, and draft data that you can get because draft data was released earlier. Um, why can't I do it? Well, because I want to look at very specific questions. So for example, I'm going to look at the kicker spells and how important it is to have the mana that allows you to cast the kicker uh, in those spells. And um, uh, we're going to look through all of those. Um, I'm going to look a bit at domain land bases and, and, and try to figure out what's going in, in the data there. And what, what is quite important, we're going to look at the new approach to the 17 lands data that is uh, that has changed since uh, since the first thing, because um, because there's the, some new features, and these are features that protect the purity of the data. Um, they have been introduced after long discussions, mainly between me and and uh, and, and and Viral Misnomer, the head of the 17 lands. Um, as we did not completely agree on what to do, but in the end, I think we came with a brilliant compromise that um, allows to have the data pure, but at the same time, don't lose any information that could have been lost uh, in the different uh, approach to the data. So without further ado, the preamble is keep your metrics clean. So the problem with data it's that sometimes it's very arbitrary and uh, it's a whole art to keep your metrics clean and not to introduce biases to them. Um, to give you an example, I do a removal guide every single format and every single format, I have a problem in quantifying the number of creatures that a spell can kill. Because um, if I have a creature that has X in the toughness, how do I treat it? If I have a spell that makes multiple one ones, how do I treat them? Uh, there's always choices I have to make and usually I make them in a pragmatic way, but I do know that I sacrifice some, some, uh, some, some purity. If I made like very rigid rules on how I quantify the number of creatures killed by removal in each set, I might have had a clean metric and it would be uniform across the format. I don't do that because again, I'm a very pragmatic person, but if you're operating um, a data collection website, you have to be much more uh, um, much more uniform in how you treat everything 
because all your website has to be based on the same kind of uh, calculations. I can afford myself a bit of uh, speculation and a bit of context because I do my analyses from scratch every single time. If you have a scraping website that looks for the data, that collects, that gathers it, you will not change your algorithms every single time a new set is released because there are a couple of cards in it. And that was a problem in uh, Dominaria. And someone who observed it was someone that actually reads the description of all the metrics in 17 Lens, unlike me. I'm just, uh, when you work with some things, you don't read the instructions anymore. And that's maybe not the best of the traits. But I did notice at some stage that um, all cards in DMU uh, are drawn roughly 40 to 50% of the time in a game. And I noticed that there were cards that were massively uh, exceptions from those uh, from this rule and that they had certain uh, sets of properties. Blight Pie, Color Colony, uh, Runa's Vortex, Shield Wall Sentinel, and Wing Metal Chaplain. I looked at this data and I instantly knew, okay, this is because of tutoring effects. Um, uh, you draw them more frequently because Wing Metal Chaplain, you will not only draw it uh, naturally, but you will also draw it using the Shield Wall Sentinel quite frequently. So I observed it, I wrote a, a Twitter thread about it, uh, but then someone came to the 17 Lens Discord and said, but your description of the data says that you don't count tutoring effects as draw. So why this, does this count as a draw in, in your metrics? And how does it change? Um, and that's where our discussion started. We had it, whether sh we should count the um, wing mental chaplains being tutored up as a draw, or we should uh, treat it differently as a non-draw. Now, you can see that there's positives of both approaches. Um, if we count Wing Mental Chaplain being um, tutored as well as drawn, uh, we count all the instances it, 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 it appears in the hand. Um, but at the same time, this sort of brings us closer to uh, looking at the win rate of the card, not only um, when it's naturally drawn, but also when it's tutored, so when you choose to draw it. And of course, you choose to draw a card usually when you can cast it. So this biases it uh, into another metric that we never used on 70 lands, um, uh, which is uh, win rate when cast. And of course, a 20 mana spell that says win the game is going to have a very high win rate when cast. The problem is it's not going to be cast very frequently. Now, if you can tutor it whenever you want it, um, and that was the problem with the lessons uh, in Strixhaven, the win rates are going to be very high because you choose to bring this card to your hand because you know that you can cast it and therefore the win rate is going to be pretty high. That was the thing with the, um, with the mascot exhibition, which had amazing win rate because you could choose when you have it in your hand. And if you didn't want it, you just decided not to choose it because that card was tutored up roughly 100% of the time. Wing Metal Chaplain is clearly not tutored up 100% uh, of the time because it would be naturally drawn probably like 40 to 50% of the time. So that's all fine. There, But there's still like a large chunk of the numbers of the games where, where the card is being tutored up. So how do you treat it? Um, and in the end, we, well, we, I, I, I didn't, I, I help uh, having discussion that led to that decision. But um, Viral Misnomer decided uh, we are going to exclude tutored cards from uh, uh, from the uh, games in hand data in general. So basically, they will not be uh, counted as cards that were drawn. And this, of course, brings up a whole new problem. Like, how do you count those games now? And the decision has been made that uh, the tutored 
cards are going to be in a special category called tutored cards, which solves a lot of problems that uh, that could have been generated by ignoring the problem. So first of all, games drawn and games in hand, uh, statistics are not going to take the tutor card into account. Um, the uh, games not drawn statistics when card was not drawn is slightly changed now, and it's now called games not seen. And it means now that it only takes into account games where the card has not been seen uh, by uh, by the player that played uh, that particular game. So it counts tutoring as seeing the card and it counts drawing as drawing a card. So uh, it's going to be the same. And because of those changes, you can still come up with um, uh, with all the other old metrics. So that's all fine. So we actually have more data, more interesting data, and at least we have a clear cut definitions of uh, what's going on. But this is not everything. Uh, because what is tutoring really? Uh, so there's obvious cases like Shield would Sentinel that clearly tutors a wall. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a creature card with Defender, reveal it, and put it in your hand, and then shuffle. Micromancer the same tutors a one drop uh, a one drop spell, um, and Spartan Goblin tutors a land. So these are very clear cut cases, um, uh, and that's all fine. The problem starts when you look at the special cases because Floriferous Vinewall tutors a card that is in the top six cards of your library. Six cards is quite a lot. It's like a large chunk of the library. So if you look at a tutor effect that looks at 20 cards in the library, all of them, and tutor something and count as a tutor, how should you count uh, Floriferous Vinewall? that looks at six cards, how you should treat impulse that looks only at four cards, or how you should look at uh, Talas Lookout's um, death trigger, which looks at top two cards. And in the end, the decision has been made that all of those effects are going to be counted now as tutors. Uh, so they will not be counted as drawing a card because it doesn't say draw a card on any of them. It says put it in your hand, very much like on the tutor effects that will be put in your hand. So. The new data and 17 lands, uh, you can look at the announcement um, on the Discord of the 17 lands uh, to see all the details. But generally, all the effects that put things in there in the hand based on selection are going to be counted as tutors and they will have a separate uh, category um, into them, which hopefully in the future is going to make the data more interesting to interpret. And already now we can, um, uh, we can, we can look at some data. So. Uh, without further ado, let's move to the data. I took the data from 17lens.com. I, in order to re retain any kind of like uh, level of sanity, I, I looked at 100,000 games from Premier Draft because this is just the initial look at the data set. The data set itself is bigger. I just selected like 100,000 games from, from, from relatively recent drafts um, uh, to look at the current metagame more. Um, so first statistics for the day, first statistic for the day, which cards are most tutored? And uh, let's take my laser um, counter. Um, tutoring frequency is a metric that I had to introduce for that purpose. Um, and it means how many times was the card tutored in relation to the number of the games it was played. So Wing Mental Chaplain having this number at 25% means that in a quarter of the games where Wing Mental Chaplain was in the deck, it has been tutored up by Shieldwall Sentinel or other effects because of course, Sometimes it might have been uh, tutored up by impulse or something. Uh, this is this is a large number. Uh, a card, as I said, will be drawn in uh, in roughly forty five percent of the games. So a good third of all the times that people uh, 
saw wing metal chaplain in their hand, it was because it was tutored in one way or another. And as you can see, this is the sort of testament to, um, oh, question from Barche Boss. Yeah, this is the problem when you have to make a clear cut decisions. If, um, if Impulse had look at the top four cards, put three on the bottom, draw a card, it would count as a card drawn. It's weird, I know, but that, that's how it works. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's the thing. Um, in the end, decisions need to be made on how to make things, and I think having uniforms rules, uniform rules, is fine. Especially that uh, you know, in the end, I will be able to jump over those kinds of uh, things, and also I will be able to get more information out of it, not less. So in the end, we're gaining some subtle differences that can be aggregated very easily, and we're getting access to information that was not available before, which makes it even better than it was. Um, right, where was I? Where was I? Where was I? Um, uh, yeah, so Wing Mendel Chaplin was clearly the card that was the most uh, tutored thing in, in the format by 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 large, by large difference. 25% of the time it was seen, it was thanks to tutoring. Second on the list is Shield Will Sentinel, and that's been 15% of the time tutored. Uh, which sort of is surprising because it is a tutor itself. So it seems like people chaining a sentinel of a sentinel is something that happened quite frequently. Um, and then we have a package of uh, Coral Colony and Walking Bulwark with around 8% of the time that they were tutored. Um, and just a bit uh, behind 7.4 is a Blight Pile, a bit behind 5.2%, uh, uh, there is a Clockwork Drawbridge. And I think that this is a oh, gibbering, gibbering, gibbering barricade. Three percent of the time was uh, uh, it was seen was tutored. And I think with gibbering barricade, the reason is that the card was played very frequently in the non-wall decks as a uh, as a sort of control kind of uh, card. Which means that because it was played in the non-wall decks, it was frequently played on in the decks without the shield sentinel, and the tutoring rate is slightly lower. While Wing Metal Chaplain, you always wanted to have your Shield Wall Sentinels in the deck with Wing Metal Chaplain. Um, Coral Colony is also something that you were more likely to play in the deck with Walls and Walking Bulwark the same. Uh, so uh, Gibbering Barricade had the lowest um, uh, tutor rate. Only only wall that had the lower um, uh, tutor rate was uh, the Floriferous Vine Wall, which which probably was played most of the time in the non-wall decks, actually, because uh, most wall decks were in the Asper um, uh, wedge, and this one was played in domain decks uh, that, that are more controlling tint. Um, and then the, the O5 um, wall that loots when you play an instant also was probably played in the non-wall decks more frequently. That's why I didn't make the list. So bulk of the cards on the uh, most tutored group are walls, but they are by far not the only ones that um, have that property. Uh, when we go back to the one of the highest cards on the list, uh, we have Rona, Rona's Vortex at 7.7% um, uh, tutoring rate, which means 45% probably uh, roughly it was drawn naturally. And on top of that, plus 7.7%, it was tutored. Uh, and Runa's Vortex obviously was not uh, uh, fetched by uh, Shield Wall Sentinel. It was thanks to Micromancer, uh, the 3-3 that can uh, put a uh, one mana instant or sorcery in your hand. And there's a bunch of other spells uh, that were most likely uh, tutored up by um, by the Micromancer. We have um, Shore Up with around 6% of the time that it was tutored up. 
timely interference around five percent, tail swipe, uh, herbal repossessions around four, runic shot three point five, cut down three three point five, uh, flowstone infusion three percent ish. Um, uh, so yeah, these are the cards that um, uh, that benefited from Micromancer the most, or were most likely to be found in decks that also contain Micromancer. Um, now, obviously, uh, Micromancer is a blue uh, creature, and that's why we see uh, Rona's Vortex, Shore Up, um, and Timely Interference as the top one mana spells that it tutored up, because, of course, the chance of another blue spell being in the deck with the blue um, creature is the highest. Um, and that's why uh, some of those cards uh, I already see in the chat that... Um, 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 that ask about Urburg Repossession. Urburg Repossession is going to be in many decks that don't have um, um, a Micromancer because they will be in decks that uh, are not blue and therefore the number is going to be lower. I could uh, probably um, calculate the percentage of the time that um, each of those cards is with them, with its tutors and, and, and then figure it out. Now, um, the chat already can see it, but of course, we also release it in the podcast version. There is a couple of cards that don't fit to any of those uh, categories for the obvious um, uh, tutors. And one of them is Sulkanar the Tainted, um, Silverback Elder, Tatiova, Steward of Tides, and Joda the Unifier. I think that um, these cards will be tutored up Actually, quite frequently. So Sulkanar is like around 4%. And it was a number that sort of surprised me because there is nothing that will bring Sulkanar to my hand um, from the library that much straightforward. So it must be that it's a combination of multiple things. And um, I think that the chat, uh, the chat was uh, quite quick to observe that um, uh, it might be... Um, that might be uh, the black spell that uh, looks at top five cards, I think. Cruelty of Gigs uh, is another option to do that. Um, Impulse is another option to do that. Um, um, and I'm still not 100% sure if um, if Urbrook Repossession after milling something uh, will count as, uh, as tutoring. So... Um, uh, so yeah, uh, people also mentioned that Lagomos is, uh, but probably Lagomos tutoring happened uh, 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 a handful of times in 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 history. Uh, I'm just checking the wording on the card uh, before I make a fool of myself. Yes, uh, so Shadow Prophecy is probably going to be the most likely um, the most likely target uh, of a spell that um, that will uh, tutor up uh, uh, Joda and uh, Sulkanar. Because it does look, um, it does look through many cards. It will be played in those uh, domain decks, uh, and 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 it will uh, definitely, if you have a choice of getting Joda or Sulkanar in those decks, you are going to do that. Uh, plus, there is also a couple of other effects, like maybe in the domain deck, um, uh, the two four flyer that tutors up cards. Oh no, that one actually draws. Ha <laughs> ha! I fooled myself. Um, I still don't know how Eerie Soul Tender is working with um, uh, with self mill and 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 then getting Urbrook repossession or, or or Eerie Soul Tender itself bringing a card to hand. I don't know exactly if that's treated as a tutored one or as a or some some other way. Uh, that's a thing on the list to actually inspect how it works. But okay, this is enough about tutored cards. Um, right. So before I switch to the data, before you start reading the data. Um, the question that was bothering me since 
the release of the format even, or actually before the release of the format. I had that analysis planned before the format was even um, uh, released when we started to know the spoiler and we learned that um, the kicker spells are multicolored, or at least that the kicker cost is in the other color than the color of the actual spell was. Which spells will be, it will be absolutely necessary to play the kicker. Um, which spells it will be sort of meh, it doesn't really matter. And, and which spells, um, actually the kicker is going to be a sort of trap. Uh, because I'm sure that um, uh, there, there are spells like that. And finally, with the data set that was released, I can answer that question. And then we're going to look at it and, and maybe speculate about some of the cards um, as we do it. So first of all, the graphs I'm showing is the win rates of um, um, the win rate of uh, each card by the number of sources for kicker, mana, and the deck. And uh, there will be uh, decks with zero sources for kicker, so basically where you it's impossible to play uh, the card with the kicker. Um, one to three when the kicker is sort of splashed and occasionally will appear, or over three, uh, which means probably that um, um, uh, we're talking about the deck that is in the two colors where both colors are the, the main color of the card and the main color of the kicker. I only looked at the uh, common and uncommon ones uh, because the rare ones um, are problematic to analyze this way because there is more questions to answer to the, through that. Um, uh, uh, so I, didn't, I focused, and anyway, we play commons and uncommons uh, more frequently. Um, so I divided them into sort of five uh, different categories. Uh, the first one is when being able to play the kicker to pay the kicker cost is absolutely essential um, uh, for the for the win rate of the particular card. So, um, so um, the cards that have biggest differences. First of all, Pixie Illusionist. Not a single person, um, not a single game was played with Pixie Illusionist in the data set that I analyzed where it was impossible to cast um, uh, the kicker cost for it. So it, weirdly, Pixie Illusionist is a green card because it was always played in green decks. Strange, but true. Um, and then the win rate, uh, when you have ability to play the kicker, it was not really very much different. Um, uh, Springbook, they, they might have been, but I, I took only a selection of the games. Uh, I just picked the sort of random 100,000 games uh, to make my analysis. Uh, easier to do uh, without like overcharging my computer because I wanted everything to work smoothly. Um, so probably none of your games were caught there because of that. Um, so that's a weird one, and and basically we don't know. Maybe maybe Pixie Illusionist can work as a, a blue red tempo card um, uh, in your deck with curiosities or something. Um, there is under the uh, one in a green. Uh, exile target artifact or enchantment and with the kicker it can exile any permanent now obviously exiling any permanent is way better than exiling instant enchantment and you can see that in in the data the win rate was 38 percent if you couldn't kick it there were not that many games that were in this category but some people uh, uh, managed to play Terra Sunder as 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 basically uh, enchantment and uh, uh, as a, as basically a green disenchant um, and this goes up by far. If you had more, one to three sources of black in your deck, it had 54% win rate and 56.3% um, if, um, if you uh, had access to more than three black sources in your deck. So this is a big difference and this is absolutely unsurprising. Uh, we have the same with Elvish Hydromancer. 
no one wants to play a vanilla 3-2 for 3 mana, it seems. Um, and the win rate, if you played it as a vanilla 3-2, was only 42%. Uh, it went up to around 45 44.5% when you added more sources of blue. And it didn't really matter if there were many of them or just a few. Um, Colossal Growth, another card that you want to be able to kick it. 2 mana plus 3 plus 3, not a powerful card. 3 mana plus 4 plus 4 and Trample, and it seems that the Trample on that is just so important. It was uh, literally what made this card being useful. Um, um, uh, the difference between not being able to kick it, 48% win rate, being able to kick it, 55-56% win rate. So uh, a big, 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 big difference there between, between those two. Um, Another strength of the coalition, uh, that's the other combat trick, one mana plus two plus two, but if you kick it, put the plus one plus one counter on every of your creatures. Um, here, the kicker effect is just so much more powerful than the uh, effect of the actual spell that um, uh, you see a big difference. Um, shielded is restoration, few people remember, but this card has a kicker. Um, normally for four mana, it's a reanimate, um, spell that makes you lose life. If you pay the kicker, you gain life instead of losing life. So a big swing in life. And uh, Shielded's Restoration has a pattern that shows you that uh, it probably is at its best uh, in black-white decks. And by, when I'm saying at its best, um, I mean it's playable. Or maybe not even black um, uh, white decks, but decks that have Wing Mendel Chaplain, because probably that's the kind of a card that you would like to reanimate using Shieldred's Restoration. Um, so Shieldred Restoration, if you don't have a source of white, 42% win rate, not really good. Goes up to 49 when you have a couple of um, uh, white sources, one to three. Uh, and 54% win rate um, um, when uh, when you have more than three. Now keep in mind, this is a win rate in games played. Um, I took it because it would be even further complicated if we just looked at the games drawn with the now tutoring uh, and, uh, that needs to be taken into account. So I didn't uh, for the time being. Uh, and of course, game played win rate is slightly lower than game in hand win rate. So um, uh, if they seem low to you, it's because it's a different metric that we're looking at. Mm. Another card that is in this category where uh, you definitely want to be able to kick it, Yavimaya Iconoclast, 50% win rate uh, as a 3-2 as a Trampler for 2 mana, um, and then 56-57% if you are able to kick it. Um, a slight suggestion that you might want to be able to kick it, because there is a difference between having 1-3 to three sources and uh, having over 3 sources. Um, and a card that definitely looks like something that needs to be in the uh, two-color deck with both colors present, Keldon Strike Team. Uh, in red decks that cannot kick it, 51% win rate, nothing impressive. But it goes up to 56 and 58 if you have one to three sources or uh, over three sources. So um, uh, these are basically the cards that you want to be able to kick and some of them, you not only want to kick them, but you also want to play them in a dedicated two-color deck that is uh, in the colors of the card and its kicker. Um, then the second group is uh, cards where the difference between not having any source or having few sources is very small. And again, here we're going to see slightly um, uh, different patterns. Like the first card, Phyrexian Warhorse, um, it has 52% win rate if you can't kick it. So if you just put it as a black card, as maybe a sacrifice outlet of some sorts. 
53.2% win rate. Um, notice that there are different scales here because of the unfortunate um, uh, zero in the in the previous uh, slide. Oh, wait. Oh, wow. I jumped over this. Okay, let's go back. Um, cars that have a medium medium difference between uh, between having zero sources and one to three sources. Uh, so Balduvian atrocity, around 49% win rate uh, if you can't kick it. And it goes up to 53 and 54 if you can kick it. So slight difference. You, you want to be able to kick it. The one mana for um, unearthing something uh, is uh, relatively useful for uh, for that card. Uh, sorry, Springbok. For fires, you mean oh, fires are probably on the next? Yeah, yeah. Um, we're, we're talking about when we get to the fires. Um, Urborg Repossession. 53% when you just play it as a one black mana, gain two life and and, and, and raise dead. Um, it goes up to 57, 56% uh, uh, when you have some sources of green. Um, actually, it looks like it's slightly better as a, a slight splash of the green. You don't want to be overly green in those decks. You just want to have access to a couple of sources of green. Uh, Vine Shaper Prodigy. Now, this is a card that you definitely want to kick. 52% um, win rate uh, as a Vanilla 2-2. Probably G guards, um, and then 55, 56 percent if you are able to uh, kick it and 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 get the uh, 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 actually another tutoring effect uh, from Vine Shaper Prodigy. Looking at the three cards and then putting one in your hand. Uh, slight indication that um, you want to be heavier on the blue side to be able to kick it more reliably. Um, Bog Badger. This card looks um, 53 percent win rate as the Vanilla Free Three. Uh, if you are able to kick it, sometimes it's fifty-six percent win rate. So there is a there is a decent change uh, in in the percentage. It drops off again in the uh, dedicated black green deck. Probably you want to have some black to be able to kick it, but um, um, yeah. is it a two percent difference already a really big deal? It's a deal. It's probably not like a massive deal because there is some variance always. So I'm pretty cautious in, in looking at those differences. Um, um, I'm observing them, uh, but I'm not getting like uh, too preachy about that kind of difference. I, I, I want to see bigger differences to, to say something with more conviction. But at 2% is a strong suggestion that there is a difference there. Um, okay. Um, next card, Battlewing Mystic, that's the 2-1 flyer that for a kicker discards a hand and draws you two cards. You want to be able to splash it at uh, some, some amount of time um, uh, because there is a 2 percentage point difference between the win rate uh, if you can't kick it um, and if you can. But it still has a pretty decent win rate when you can't kick it. So this is a card that you can probably play um, without being able to kick it but you want to have that access if possible. Um, uh, choking Miasma, there is also 53% um, win rate if you can't kick it, around 55% win rate if you can. And Cleaving Skyrider, now this is probably as clear as you can get, 53.5% uh, win rate if you can't kick it and you play it as a Flash um, uh, Vanilla 2-2 Flyer, French Vanilla. Um, and it goes up to 55 when you have one to three sources of red and 57.5 when you have over three sources of red. So this is a card you want to be playing in the dedicated white-red deck. And it's the same with the Kelden Strike team uh, that we saw um, um, uh, on the slide before. So uh, basically you have a decent indication uh, through those two cards that red-white 
is a coherent color. And I think that this is one of the reasons why red-white is um, the highest winning archetype in this format, because it is really the only super coherent uh, color combination. And if you find it open, you get into it and you get a good deck because uh, everything in there sort of works uh, works well together. So here we have cards with the smaller differences between, uh, between um, not being able to splash and splashing slightly which doesn't mean that uh, it's not beneficial to have uh, a lot of it. Uh, so first card that we're looking is the uh, Phyrexian Workhorse, 52% win rate if you can't uh, kick it, 53.2 uh, if you can, so small difference. But you get a 56% um, win rate when you uh, have over three sources of white to, uh, to kick it. So Phyrexian Warhorse from the data looks like it's pretty convincingly a black-white card and you want to play it in black-white decks. Um, uh, so yeah, um, probably you should avoid playing it if you are not in dedicated black-white deck generally. Uh, Fires of Victory, if you can't kick it, 57% win rate, that's a high win rate. So you don't have to worry about it at all. Uh, it goes up to 58 roughly when you can kick it. So it's slightly better if you can kick it, but you don't have to. Uh, it's still good. It's it's still better than most cards from the previous slides would be at the peak of their performance. So yeah, uh, aggressive sabotage on the other hand, it's pretty poor. Uh, wherever you look, fifty two percent. If you can't kick it, fifty three if you have a splash kicker, and fifty two again if you can kick it reliably. So kicking doesn't give you any benefits, um, and playing black red is also probably like a, a hindrance. A uh, similar situation in Thrall to the Pit, 53.5% um, win rate in average deck, so slightly better card than Aggressive Sabotage, uh, or, or red is a slightly better color. Um, then it increases to 545 um, if you can splash kick it, and drops down to 53 um, if, if you're playing red-black. So basically red-black uh, as, a, as a steel and sack deck doesn't work in this format, it seems. Uh, Harloon Battle Him, it has 57, 57.5% win rate across board. You don't need the kicker. It gives you maybe maybe a small bonus, but uh, not, not not really that much. The card is good wherever you play it. So just, just pick it and play it whenever you want. Um, Mr. Larry Chonka, so it seems to indicate the card's synergy with the color pair it falls into versus general utility. It sort of looks at several things at the same time. It, it shows the synergy within the color. So basically, I think that um, the steepness of the line between those three categories is the uh, synergy within the color combination. Because if it has a low win rate when you can't kick it and medium win rate when you can kick it, but you're only splashing and very high win rate when you, uh, uh, when you can kick it reliably, that shows that this is synergistic in a color pair and two color decks most likely, maybe two colors with a splash. Um, but it also shows you um, the um, the utility of, wait, uh, I, 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 uh, ah. uh, so th this, is th this is the slope I'm talking about because the laser pointer was not working, for example. Uh, but if you go back a bit, um, it can also show you the, um, mm, the usefulness of the kicker. Now, the difference in Terra Sander between not being able to kick it and being able to kick it is just massive. Keep in mind that this scale starts from zero and goes to 70%, and, uh, and, uh, and, and th th these scales go to uh, from 48 to 59. So they, they cover only a fraction of it. 
So uh, the difference between not being able to kick their asunder and um, um, and being able to to, to uh, kick their asunder are literally bigger than the scale on this on this um, uh, on this graph. So it's absolutely massive. So these ones definitely show you that you have to be able to kick them to play them. And uh, in case of children's restoration, the strike team, it also suggests that you probably want to uh, play a two-color deck that uh, can utilize it the best. I hope that helps you, Larry. Uh, Omnath nods, yes, it probably would be uh, slightly better to look at the game in hand win rate. Uh, but because of the changes of the tutoring and everything, I didn't have time to look at it uh, properly because it would require extra uh, extra steps for me to get that analysis going, basically. I might do it um, for the article for the MTGA zone when I will look at the kicker card. Uh, statistics. Uh, okay, so where we are, uh, Firex and Missionary is the same case as Harlun Batalim, 58% if you can't kick it, 58-57% uh, um, win rate if you can kick it. I'm pretty sure that um, in this case it's good to kick it, but it's also good to play it in the white-red deck without being able to kick it, and I think that this is the situation that we're looking at, and, and that's why you have those differences. It's You also have some kind of interference of the general strength of the decks. <coughs> Runic shot, very mild suggestion that you might want to kick it, but 55% if you can't kick it, 55.5% if you can kick it, so it's a very mild indication. I wouldn't put too much weight on it. Um, um, so in general, a decent card, not a great one, but a decent card uh, in Runic shot, uh, and kicker is optional. Now we look at the cards that um, have slightly higher win rate when you can't kick it. And this tells me that those cards are good enough on what they are doing, but not necessarily great in the color combinations that the kicker is. So uh, um, let's look at the example. Um, Pyrexian Espionage, you want to use it in decks um, that don't necessarily have the black. You just want to, the raw card drawing power. And it's seen, um, maybe maybe it's okay to have a small splash of black in those decks, but uh, if you have more like strictly blue-black decks, the win rate slightly slightly drops. So we have 57% win rate if you if you can't kick it, and 56.6% if you can uh, kick it reliably. So um, there you go. Um, Rona's Vortex, same. Um, you really you don't need to be uh, kicking it. I think uh, um, uh, you don't need to be reliably kicking it. So you don't need to play like a blue-black deck. You want to be able to kick it sometimes. It's basically even um, on the win rate. If you can't kick it, 58.5% win rate. If you can kick it, it's 58.5% win rate the same, basically. Uh, and if you can kick it reliably, 577 so this card is roughly even. Um, now, of course, the sample sizes will not be necessarily uh, equal. Uh, Rona's Vortex played without the kicking possibility is probably going to be uh, mainly in some kind of tempo blue-red decks that have also micromancers that allow for fetching it, but you didn't get the splash uh, sources, and but you still think that bouncing something is going to be pretty strong um, uh, for one mana because you're playing a tempo game, and, and that's why the win rate is so high. I'm not saying that you should reliably put um, Rona's Vortex in decks that can't kick it. I would probably think that 95% of the games, it should be played in decks that uh, can be kicked. And I can quickly check my Magic magic Data tab somewhere else. Um, to, 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 
Oh, this is this is domain. That's that's a different thing. I'm just going to see what is the how often do people uh, play Rona's Vortex without being able to kick it? Rona's Vortex, where is it? Come on, there we go. Um, yeah, it's 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 not very fre frequently. It will be probably like five to five to ten percent of the time, more more in the range of five, I think. Uh, when they cannot kick it. So there is a big disproportion there, uh, how people are playing it. Uh, and it will be the same for several of those cards, actually. Um, yeah, Rona's Vortex in uh, Mercurio, Rona's Vortex in response to a combat trick is my, my, it killed me several times, let's put it like that. Um, then we have a weird one by Shino Branch Rider. It has a pretty decent win rate um, uh, when you can't kick it as a 1 1 haste creature that uh, just pumps up for mana. Um, I guess it's some ultra-aggressive strategies um, uh, that are based on red. You know, five to learn gazers and um, cheap creatures. That might do the trick. Um, and then it drops because probably there's there's a larger sample size when you can kick it, and that, that sort of lowers it um, uh, because here you have some variants coming in. I wouldn't put much trust in those results. I think the card is just medium, uh, uh, however you play it. Uh, Monstrous Warlich, uh, here we don't have a difference between uh, being able, not being able to kick it and being able to kick it rarely, but there is a big increase in win rate, um, so those two were 52% win rate, there is a 55% win rate when you can't splash it, um, uh, kick it reliably, um, and that tells me that this is a card that wants to be played in black-blue decks uh, that can do their thing, their build-arounds, and then the card can have a pretty decent win rate. I think that the 54% win rate, knowing the propensity of Magic players to play that those kinds of cards when they shouldn't, uh, I think that 55% win rate suggests that there is a build around that uses the card well, um, uh, but it needs to be designed, uh, crafted with care, and, and you have to think about how you want to play this kind of card. Uh, Warhost Frenzy, this is a strange one. Um, 58% win rate uh, if you can't kick it, 57.1% uh, when you can kick it very rarely, and 53% win rate only when uh, when you can uh, kick it frequently. What this tells me is that this card probably is a card that has best results when you play it in uh, uh, red decks, red aggressive decks. I don't know if it's going to be red-green or maybe it's going to be uh, red-blue. Um, but it's definitely not going to be red-black. Um, and I assume that these two categories, uh, when, when, you, when, you, when you can't kick it and when you can kick it very rarely, are fringe cases that don't happen uh, that often. Um, I can confirm it uh, quickly. Warhost Frenzy. Yeah, you can, um, you can roughly 10% play it without the kicker and... and, and, and um, uh, with being able to kick it only only several times, this this goes up to maybe thirty percent of the of the games that are played with the card. Um, so yeah, Warhorse Frenzy probably not good in red black decks. That's the thing with it. Oh yeah, it's also uh, uh, Boros, uh, Poppy, Poopy Pirates, and Mercurio. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, the card has some spots because I think that it also can be easily played in the, uh, in, in in some spells deck as a finisher. Um, in the aggressive tinted version of it. That doesn't work very well. Okay. Uh, tribute to Urborg. That's also weird that um, it has higher win rate as a non-splashable card. Uh, here, I think it's a data artifact that is based on sample sizes. Um, uh, vast majority. But, but I mean, I'm talking like 
ultra vast majority um, of the games, it's uh, it's being splashed um, for the kicker, um, and probably that's that's why um, you know you have like twenty thousand games uh, with Urberg um, tribute to Urberg um, uh, um, in the data set. Uh, and only 2,000 of them are played when you can't splash it. I guess that people play it without being able to splash when it fulfills a very particular... Um, um, Poopy Pirates is asking a very good question. Do you think this visualization would improve with the third dimension for the size of population? No, I think not, because generally adding dimensions to the data visualization makes them complicated to read. And it is a problem. It would add subtlety, and it would be better for people who are very comfortable with looking at data, but it will confuse people who are not. And I usually err on the side of showing less um, uh, less complicated graphs, but easier to read and try to explain the subtleties behind them uh, as I go through the data. So that's that's my that's my uh, that's my point of view on on this kind of stuff. Um, and we have the similar similar situation with Tolarian Gazer. Uh, I think Tolarian Gazer is. Uh, good in any deck it has high win rates like of 57% in any category slightly higher when you can't kick it because maybe the decks um, uh, again like blue red uh, can utilize it very um, uh, in a very powerful way or maybe blue black can utilize it in a very powerful way and you don't need the kicker it's it's literally in this case it's just a kicker it it, it adds something if you can play it, that's fine but uh, it doesn't give you like a massive benefit. And here we have another another weird card, a card that actually the, the, the more likely you're going to kick it, the worse it performs. And that's G2 Amplifier. Come on, bad fingers don't click the things. 57% um, win rate if you can't kick it, drops to 56 uh, uh, if you can kick it slightly and down to 55 if you can kick it reliably when you have over three sources. Now this is, uh, most likely uh, uh, the result of that fact that the card is so good in uh, red-green. Uh, yeah, Parche Boss, that's, uh, exactly, uh, uh, that's exactly what I think uh, it is. It's just so much better when you can play um, a random uh, Gaia's Might on it than, than if you play it in the uh, blue-red uh, blue deck and try to play it as a tempo card. Um, because if you play combat trick decks, uh, G2 Amplifier becomes a mass block. Uh, you have your combat tricks that will make it big anyway, uh, independent if this block or not. So it can lead to some explosive uh, situations quite quite easily. And I think that also uh, quite a lot of people playing uh, red green are sleeping on this particular card because they look at the kicker color and they think, oh, that's not something for me. But the best of the players have identified that G2 Amplifier is a good card in red-green and that will further boost the win rate uh, in those color pairs. And here we have cards that somehow behave the worst in um, uh, in the if you, if you can kick them uh, by, by quite a large margin. Uh, timely interference, much better if you can't kick it, uh, 57 to 55, uh, 56%, so like one and a half percent difference. Um, uh, Shalai's Acolyte, 56.6 if you can't kick it, and then 55 if you can. This card just doesn't seem to be doing anything that the white green wants to be doing, so that's probably the reason for that. Protect the Negotiators is weird because it has a decent win rate if you can't kick it, 55.5. Really bad at 54 um, if you can kick it ever so slightly once in a while, and a massive 58% win rate if you can kick it reliably. Um, now, again, 
it's played very rarely. Very rarely it's played when you can't kick it. So that might be the reason that there is a variance in this particular data set. And most frequently it's played when you can kick it reliably. I think it's a card that should be almost exclusively played in um, uh, blue-white. And there, there may be some weird go-white blue decks uh, that don't have white uh, where it's going to be actually fine. There is, yes, that 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 there 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 is um, there is so uh, Jesus is asking uh, to um do you think that these one two percentage point differences on this chart are just noise or just differences in deck baseline uh, win rates? I would say both. Like, differences in deck baseline win rates is 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 a part of the noise to me. And there's magic data is generally very dirty, and there's so much. Um, uh, there's so much uh, that you have to always take into account when you look at those data. And um, yeah, I think that a large pop chunk of it is just going to be uh, insignificant differences, but it's still worth observing them and at least keeping in mind the fact that they exist and um, uh, and then basically uh, uh, and they basically uh, looking at the sample sizes. If something seems strange, it can be explained by the fact that the sample size is small. If something seems counterintuitive, um, you mark it, maybe look at different um, data set and try to reconfirm it. Yes, Omnat not nudes, uh, these graphs will reflect the color combinations a bit more because um, uh, they use a gameplay win rate. As I said, combining three different metrics of the card draw is going to be complicated, at least in the beginning. And I just did not have, did not have time to go through all the shebang to, to look through them. Um, uh, because yeah, it's, it's already, you know, get, getting all the numbers in terms of how many sources in the deck are there is 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 usually uh, complicated because you have to take into account all the five color lands, all the grottos, all the mana mana and rocks and and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, uh, it is a fun analysis, uh, obviously. Um, and our card then then we have three cards that have like literally a drop in uh, win rate uh, based on um, being able to kick it. Uh, it's Joint Exploration, Juniper Order, Rootweaver, and Benalish Sleeper. Um, and honestly, I think Benalish Sleeper is just better in um, um, in white-red as a 3-1 vanilla, and probably not so important in most of the black-white uh, decks where... Um, they say black-red? I mean white-red. Yeah, I mean white um, it's just not so good in, in most of the black-white decks. There is a home for it, I'm pretty sure, in the black-white decks when you go a bit more aggressive and white. But um, but um, the issue with that is that uh, people will play it also in the decks where it's not going to be so great. Um, Juniper Order, Root Weaver, no explanation. I'm, I'm, I'm just guessing that the sample size when you play it as a Vanilla Tutu is very, very small. And indeed, I am correct it's going to be like five percent of the game so we can probably discard this as an artifact um but these these sample sizes are quite big so uh, it's probably good as a sort of like a splash of green and a white deck than um than a fully dedicated green white deck and joint exploration here we might fall into a different trap that it actually is played um uh, uh, uh relatively frequently uh without being able to kick it. And then it's played as an instant in sort of Tolaran Terror decks uh, or uh, in, in Tempo decks with um, electrostatic infantry. And, and that's why it's so much better because these decks are just slightly better. 
Um, heroic charge, there's not much differences there, but there are some. Um, uh, it seems like kicking is not necessary for that. Uh, you just want to have multiple creatures, uh, basically. Um, Sprouting Goblin, weirdly, um, uh, not kicking it seems to be okay, but uh, uh, it just happens very rarely that people play it when they cannot kick it. Um, so probably that's the reason for that. They play it when they really need a two-drop uh, that has some late-game uh, ability to, to, to do something useful. Scout the Wilderness. Um, again, better results when you can't kick it uh, uh, based on very, very tiny uh, uh, sample size. Like 1% of the games people couldn't kick it. Video because of course, when you're looking for lands, you probably want to have Domain 5, so you will always be able to kick it. So. Um, weird deck that probably base is based on five drops of some sort that needed the three mana a way to ramp themselves to five mana uh is probably why why it has a good win rate and it has a pretty bad win rate if, if if you can kick it so probably card is just bad and stall for time also has a much higher win rate when you can't kick it than when you can kick it and here there is like a solid uh, number of decks that do um uh, play it when it can't be kicked around 10 percent of the games are in those situations, and it's probably white-red decks that want something to uh, push the attacks through. So they use it as a sort of falter kind of effect. So that's the ratings of the kickers. Without going into the numbers, generally nice to know that these are the cards that you really want to kick uh, and have the capacity of being able to kick them. Uh, so so are these cards, and, 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 and then memorize some of the cards that have those steep kind of gradients are the ones when the, there might be some interesting uh, uh, ramifications for being playing them mainly in their two-color combination decks, like the one Monstrous War Leech and the uh, Phyrexian Warhorse, um, um, Cleaving Skyrider, uh, Vine Shaper Prodigy, um, and Keldon Strike Team, Children's Re Restoration. These are the sort of cards that you probably want to play more in your two-color combinations. I think so, and I think that um, the, uh, Springbok says, Seems like lands that um, that provide free kicker sources are important. I think so, and um, you know, in general, I think seventeen lands users are pretty good in uh, in figuring out how to uh, how to make sure that they have a couple of those splashed lands. And you can see that in the sheer volume of the games when you are capable of splashing um, uh, uh, splashing your kicker color. Just trying to find Harloon Battleham. You actually, lots of games were played when you can't kick it and it was still a high win rate. So for example, in this card, kicking doesn't seem like an important part. Um, to, to, to hide this, let's go. So one thing I tested also was uh, the link between number of instants and sorceries and the Tolarian Terror uh, win rate in terms of, um, uh, in terms of uh, game played win rate in this case. And there is noise, and this sort of probably shows you what, what levels of noise are you dealing with the with the data, but I do think that there is um, a sort of optimum around 10, 11 instant sorceries when, uh, when, when, when that's where you want to be with your tolerant terror. You definitely don't want to go below six uh, uh, because if you go further than, uh, than that, I, I did cut off because of the small uh, sample sizes, you, you see really bad win rates. Um, so uh, I would say eight, Preferably 10 to 11 instants and sorceries if you want to play Tolarian Terrors. But then decks that have too many instants and sorceries in this format are probably have too much fluff because lots of those instants and sorceries are going to be one mana cantrips or things like that. 
Um, so you don't want to exaggerate with the number uh, of instant sorceries, have a decent amount of threats as well. Um, so that's probably what you want to do, like 13 threats, 11 spells, that kind of stuff and, uh, to make your Tolarian Terror decks click. And um, the last part of the analysis I did is looking at domain decks and um, how important it is to have redundant sources of your lowest uh, basic land count. So basically what you see, basically basic lands, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what you see in these tables, uh, and I'm not going to go through all the cards, just uh, showing the general trends, is you see the win rate with decks that don't have all five colors, um, and the other four have all five colors, sources, basic sources in them, uh, but the lowest number is one, two, three, or four. So basically, uh, if it's one, then you have all five colors, and let's say you only have one swamp or one mountain, or one swamp and one mountain. I don't count how many of them have one, one, one source. So it's like only added that occasionally you will get the domain five. Uh, if you have two, you will have all five colors and your lowest count of the basics is going to be, say, planes, and you're gonna have two of them in your deck. And uh, here it's the same with three and the same with four. Majority of the five color decks are in this category. This category is usually pretty big. Um, and you can um, and you can look at some cards and, and general pattern in those is having all five colors is a benefit for uh, um, having a slightly higher win rate even if it's only one basic of the of the last uh, color combination. So we see that average uh, the average win rate for those cards is, is is slightly higher. You can see by the coloring is slightly higher when you have at least one source of that fifth color. That's what you want to do. Um, and there are some cards that also have a decent win rate when you don't have a full domain. And one of those is dragged to the bottom, um, possibly because uh, this card will need um, a double black. So you might want to play it in maybe like a three color more dedicated deck when you just play it as a four mana minus four minus four spell, um, uh, but more reliably. And the same goes with Leyland Binding. It's also okay when you don't have the full domain. Uh, because the card is just very powerful uh, for what it does. Um, so this is one half. Um, the peaks, peak win rate for those cards will be around one or two basics of your lowest color and five types of basics present. Some of those 66% uh, win rates and 47% win rates, the, these sample sizes for the Radas Firebrand are petite in this, if I remember correctly. Um, two, 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 two. Um, and this is the second half of it, so that you kept sanity and not watch uh, too long a table at the same, um, um, uh, in the same situation. But you see, it's very similar trend. The win rates when you have at least one or two basics of the lowest uh, basic denomination is much higher than, than than when you have three four, because when you have three four, you probably sacrifice so many picks for lands that you lack the power in your deck, um, or or maybe it's a bit random what you are going to be able to cast and you have like uh, sort of lands and spells are very much A to B dynamics in those decks and not having uh, all five colors is uh, not really beneficial when you're playing your uh, when you're playing your domain cards because you want that extra bonus from the domain. One thing that surprised me is the Sphinx of the Clear Skies. I thought that it will be better in the decks that have less than five colors because uh, I had a very bad experience with that card in my domain deck when I was playing it and it was basically not able to attack because every attack would have killed me unless I killed the opponent uh, because I would mill myself because it draws so many cards. 
Well, so um, uh, Domino Man uh, says, I, that's how I feel about Nile. I was talking about this with the Isaiah last night, but I don't really need Nile to be Domain 5. Uh, domain 5 it only draws one card, but the Sphinx with Domain 5 draws five cards. You really don't have time to attack with it. Uh, so the difference between the speed of the clock in the situation when I couldn't attack with my Sphinx, I would have gladly attacked with my uh, Nile because I had like 12 cards in my deck. So I would have probably gotten there by, by picking my most uh, powerful cards uh, from the top. But with Sphinx, I attack once, I draw those five cards, or I draw three of them and I put two of them in the graveyard. I attack the second time and I'm, I'm basically uh, uh, with, an empty, um, with an empty library. So I, I guess that my fault was that I built the deck that couldn't... Um, Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I definitely like Nile with lower domain. Um, um, I don't have to draw a card for it to be decent. I also can dig for my fifth land. I can dig for my uh, uh, actual actual threats or, or something like that. So uh, I'm, I'm super happy playing it with less. I'm just I'm just not unhappy for having five um, uh, in this case. Uh, Omnath nods. Um, uh, thinking back, maybe Pixie Illusionist has no decks with zero green because the Pixie itself counts as green. No, no, I did it differently. I counted the... Ooh, that might be good. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you figured it out. Maybe I did count Pixie as a source of green and therefore it was zero. I have to double check it, but that's a very good point. Uh, it will also solve the many problems in my graph building. Uh, the longer I think about it, the, the more the more likely that you are right, actually, in this particular case. Um, any interesting things here? Nope, 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 nope. I mean, Slimefoot surveys good numbers. That might be something that is a... a uh, a slight surprise. Uh, that's actually pretty decent win rate for what the card does, uh, in my opinion. Okay, now we had our seminar. It was a bit shorter than normally, but still pretty lengthy, so that's fine. Next week, I'm going to dive deeper and um, try to get a bit more uh, insights from the format, uh, especially looking at the speed of the decks and impacts of cards on the speed of the deck. Um, no, 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 this is not, uh, oh, so sorry. I'm, I'm just going to come back because I don't think that uh, uh, Dominion uh, uh, was there when we discussed what this means. Um, this is a five color deck, uh, not a mono deck. This is a five color deck that has one source of the slowest count of the basics. So it has all five colors and let's say there is only one swamp in it. Uh, this one has two of the lowest number of basics, uh, but it all ha has, it, it has five colors. So uh, Voda Sea Scavenger is the best in uh, five color decks, but not five color decks that have many sources of the lowest color, basically. So it's not like super five color deck. It's like a five color deck when you splash last couple of colors. You have sources for them, basic sources for them, but uh, but you don't have like too many of them. Hopefully that's, uh, that's clear. But yes, play librarian instead, it's better. Um, okay, we go into the acknowledgements. As always, thanks to the 17 Lands team uh, this week, especially because I know how much struggle and strife they went through uh, in order to get the game data online, um, uh, especially Viral Misnomer and Alibalini, the ZTM, they went really through through hell to get this thing to work. Um, I would also like to thank Fake Jake Brown, who is um, uh, the secret Santa of, uh, of the podcast version of uh, Magic Numbers. And as we are on the podcast, uh, we release it in the podcast form and the podcast form has music from Assesco and Mana Junkie. So thanks to them for providing uh, the, the theme for the podcast. And once again, I would like to thank my sponsor at mtgazone.com. 
And with that, I'll see you next week.